For February 6, 2012, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 188. No drop trow for Bizarro. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Broadcasting from deep within green hell. I'm Matthew Rather, here with the panel uh, of Overthinkers. <laughs> Welcome to, subject- to darkness! <laughs> <laughs> to subject uh, the Super Bowl and Super Bowl commercials to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. You guys remember the Green Hell commercial, right? It's the, the automobile test facility in, um, in Germany. Where, where, where Cadillac, uh, Cadillac uh, yeah. makes a car uh, that is almost as good as the BMW 3 Series. <laughs> Grenatetes, right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, overthinkers, your question tonight: What is the product you are most likely to buy uh, after watching the Super Bowl? Uh, yes, uh, Peter Fenzel is first in the uh, is first in the alphabet. Is there a banshee someone let loose in here? <laughs> I don't know. Someone's using their uh, someone's using their computer Jesus. microphone. <laughs> We, we, might have, we might have turned into a shock jock morning show. All right. We're all really punchy because we're recording this a lot later than we usually do because we just finished up watching the Super Bowl. We're going to Disney World. I know I'm excited. I know you're excited. I'm so excited, too, because despite the fact that I live in a city and I ride the subway and I don't have a car, I'm now the proud owner of a whole stack of Bridgetone tires. <laughs> Not really sure what I'm supposed to do with them. I figure I'll probably go back to the vacant lot and uh, set them on fire like all the homeless folks in the neighborhood. Uh, I read about tire fires. It's kind of this dramatic thing. Always heard of a tire fire, kind of like a symbolic thing. I've had it as something in, in, in improv scenes. You know, it's like, oh, well, where are you? We're at a tire fire. Great. Start. You know, like that's the kind of thing. Tire fire is the kind of thing that you, you dream about having in your life, but you never really feel like it's going to be for you. Uh, and then tonight, you know, we had that wonderful halftime show, which was, of course, an advertisement for Bridgestone Tires. And... Um, and yeah, and for me, I think that meant I needed to buy tires. I mean, you know, without a vehicle, there's really only one thing to do with them, and that's oxidize them rapidly with exposure to air, and uh, and that's what I'm going to be doing. So um, I guess the thing I need to most likely buy is what some uh, lighter fluid. Yeah, How do you exactly. ignite tires? How do you make? Maybe it's going to be. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to log on. To, I'm going to go to a Barnes and Noble and take out my Nook, my Barnes and Noble Nook, and because I'm at the Barnes and Noble, it gives me improved access and in, 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 uh, customer service for my Nook service, and I'm going to buy a book about how to start a tire fire. <laughs> that's, that's what it's going to be. Because Bridgestone, you know, it doesn't matter whether you need it. I don't need GoDaddy. I don't, I don't want them. But you know what? Like, uh, I'm going to buy, I bought tires, so now I have to deal with the reality of that situation. <laughs> Fahrenheit 728, the temperature <laughs> which tires burn. <laughs> I like it. I like it a lot. You know, it's, you know in, a, in a world where tire fires are outlawed, only outlaws have tire fires. <laughs> which I think is the concept behind most uh, post-apocalyptic uh, set design from the late 80s and early 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's, isn't, that, in fact, isn't that, in fact, our world? Yeah, <laughs> isn't in fact like the reality of the world where it's like actually if you want to start like if you want to use an oil drum for heat underneath the overpass like you have to be doing it outside of like proper society because it isn't permitted for regular people just to burn oil in drums or like light tires on fire and things like that. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, the the some of the dulcet tones you heard before were from uh, our very own biochemist. It's overthinking. It's Doctor David Schechner. Well, hello. Uh, yeah, no. I guess the question did not specify 
which of the products that were advertised during the Super Bowl I'd be most likely to purchase. So I'm going to go ahead and say uh, the 100-pack, not the 25-pack, because that's for chumps, but the 100-pack of BioRad's Micro BioSpin P30 RNA-free spin columns. Uh-huh. Uh, and you all know why. I don't need to elaborate why. They're a fantastic product. They're a proud sponsor of the show, friend of the show. Microbiospin <laughs> columns. Uh, you know, if you need to get the buffer out of your nucleic acid preps, assuming that your nucleic acids are longer than 30 nucleotides, it's the way to go. All right. I'm is, this a sex might... thing? is this a sex thing, Dave? Are you talking about a sex thing? What, what isn't? <laughs> uh, I, well, I guess not domain names. They're, they're definitely a sex thing. Yeah, right, we'll, uh, yeah and not, uh, not Twinkie eating in post-apocalyptic sausage party Chevy rally. Right. <laughs> Right. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that sooner. Jordan Stokes next in the alphabet. Uh, it's always a special occasion when Jordan is on. We're glad you're on the podcast. What do you want to buy? Well, I was gonna buy the 25 pack of microbio spin columns, and now oh, I just feel like a chump. <laughs> Wait, why were you gonna buy that thing? You never explained what it was for. <laughs> Never um, mind. I guess, we're, I guess the moment has passed. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that I am going to probably buy body paint. Like GoDaddy <laughs> thought that they were advertising domain names, but they, they miscalculated rather severely on that front. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh huh. Yeah, and and uh, are are you going to paint yourself? Paint myself. Paint strangers on the street. <laughs> Jordan, I want you I mean, to paint one of my your French girls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, any any paint that you apply to human skin becomes body paint. So, right. <laughs> I mean, pretty much anything you apply to human skin that's, becomes body paint. Yeah, that, that's what yeah, anthropologists call transformative magic. Right, right. Except, except for fire. <laughs> uh, I guess, I guess, I'm last. What I would like is uh, to buy, if it were available, is one of the white Adidas tracksuits that Madonna's backup dancers had with the, uh, with the musical notes on the Adidas stripes. In fact, I think the Adidas stripes were replaced with a five-line staff, and there were musical notes on them. And there were, like, uh, F-holes, like you see on a cello, uh, on the back of the... Um, <laughs> so I, I would like an I'm F-hole. not going to make any comment Aww. about how those men had F-holes on their backs. That was just way old line. I thought they were path integrals. I was so excited. <laughs> music, music to, well, there are two of them, right? So they would be, uh, they would be what, like, surface integrals? Uh, they'd be double path integral. Double path integral. Yeah. Uh, the, um, yes, music does make the people come together. <laughs> F-hole. F-hole. There you go. That's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're here, to, we're here to overthink the uh, the Super Bowl ads, and this is a this is uh, insofar as anything is a tradition on the Overthinking It podcast. Um, the Mint Milano's offered since uh, I think episode thirteen or sixteen, somewhere in the teens, to any member of the Wu Tang Clan who will. Uh, who will podcast with us? Um, the the drinking game. Uh, when anyone says discourse, drink. Uh, if there is anything that is a uh, you know a tradition of the overthinking podcast, it's analyzing the Super Bowl ads and kind of trying to find the meta narrative. Uh, what these ads and what this event you know this event of the Super Bowl and uh, the Super Bowl ads say uh, and s- says 
no, and compound subject say about our culture and uh, <laughs> and the world the the world in which we live this year. So I, I want to propose uh, a meta narrative, one, one potential meta narrative, and this is this is not just because I was watching the Puppy Bowl on Animal Planet before I switched over to the Super Bowl just before the kickoff, um, but it seems like uh, to me that there were a lot of dogs. From the uh, you know from the dog in the Volkswagen Bug commercial mm. to the mm. dog in the the uh, the Bud Light commercial to the dog that all the men in the Chevy Apocalypse um, commercial uh, it seems like they all when they went to their truck rally seems like they all had dogs um, the Doritos dog that killed the cat and uh, bribed the man with a bag of Doritos you know it seemed like uh, man's best friend played a uh, an inordinately large role. Um, in, uh, oh, the, uh, no, sorry. Th- those are all the ones I remember played an inordinately large role in this, um, in this, uh, year's advertising. Uh, do, Pete, do you think it's the year of the dog? <laughs> the year of the dog. So, so my take on it, and I think that the dogs feed into this is that we crossed a certain tipping point this year between uh, who's wagging the tail of the dog, as it were, with the Super Bowl and the Super Bowl advertisements advertisements in particular. So the more that um, the Super Bowl ads had become this institution, right? I, I remember uh, the path that they took in the zeitgeist, right, um, between, oh, the Super Bowl is a great football game, but it has these ads, which are also kind of fun, to, wow, these ads are really great, and the game was kind of lame, right? Two, and the game being lame was kind of a factor in that. Two, I only watched the Super Bowl for the ads, which has kind of been a big cultural thing. And I think that what we saw this year, much more than last year, was um, the ad people realizing that people get together to watch the Super Bowl as a social gathering. Like that that has become one of the more centers of gravity of, of the Super Bowl. People get together at each other's houses, right, to, to watch the Super Bowl together. And so the marketers want to hook into the social energy of people hanging out to watch the Super Bowl rather than provide an impetus uh, for people to enjoy their work, right? Like trying to make it not an interaction between the advertiser and the individual viewer, but between the advertiser and then the group of people, which I think is one of the reasons why dogs factor in so, so prominently because they're, you know, they're the universal friends. There's lots of friendship. Even the body painting scenes were friendships. Even the, in fact, there were multiple, uh, scenes. There was, there were, I don't remember. Well, there was the one. There was the weird car commercial. We only had almost had sex with the car, which was weird. But um, yeah, that was uh, hilarious. Yeah, that was pretty good. We could talk <laughs> about that in a bit. That was like our one little test of Italian advertising. But there were commercials <laughs> this time yeah, around. There, there was a woman though standing in as a as a sort of metaphor for the car, right? Oh, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. but the idea that he saw that it was the car. I don't think we're we're supposed to believe that the car transformed into a woman and transformed back. <laughs> I think we're to believe that like his experience I mean, of the car. Bumblebee or something. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. Actually, uh, you can tell that that it's definitely a European ad, right? Because the the car is being uh, feminized, whereas in American ads, the car is a giant penis. Exactly. Right? Like, Drive yeah, around yeah, with exactly. a huge penis. I don't yeah. know. I, I thought that that was uh, it was pretty clear that the Fiat people had hired the ad agency that used to do the Axe body spray ads. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> the same plot is like our product will make you do something sexually inappropriate. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I mean, well, okay. so, so you're saying Fiat is a brand of beer? 
drinking and driving, they go together like peanut butter and our spice bowls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, what I was saying is that uh, if you think back to some of like the old Danica Patrick GoDaddy commercials, um, the old Chevy commercials where you had the individuals giving their testimonials about their difficulties with their masculinity, right? Um, now you have a group of people doing stuff together in the GoDaddy in the GoDaddy commercial. You have a group of guys meeting after the apocalypse, right? Talking about their Chevys and their Fords. You have like, you know, Mark Cuban shows up and hugs his dog after the dog race, which is weird. And, and I feel like sometimes Super Bowl commercials are very focused on the individual. And I felt like these Super Bowl commercials were much more focused on social groups. And of course, there was hashtags up the wazoo. There were more hashtags than there were dogs. And there were terrible hashtags. It was, like, the, yeah, it was the year of the hashtag, I, which, yeah. which I, I did yeah. tweet. Uh, I, I yeah. tweeted that very early on. I should have appended the, the hashtag hashtag. Uh, With the hashtag. <laughs> I mean, but at some point, did Twitter, did Twitter actually reach a velocity during the Super Bowl where it was just not physically possible for anyone to actually read it. Like everybody on Twitter was tweeting as fast as they could, and it was just like nobody was actually partaking in like the readership of it. I mean, they definitely yeah. had three individual people uh, tweeting as fast as they could. Me, Mark, yeah. and uh, and Dave Schechner, right? What up? <clears throat> yes. I mean, the party we, I was at, people we, were we audibly cursing at the screen whenever there was a hashtag. But anyway, go ahead. We, uh, we passed 2,000 tweets during this, uh, this Super Bowl. <laughs> did Ooh. we really? We did indeed. <laughs> so there you go. That's, that's, you know, somewhere around, that's capped by, what, 28,000 characters, people. You're welcome. <laughs> I mean, there were externalities that affected this trend. Like, the Avengers didn't get put together as, like, a team superhero group, um, for this, although you can say that the environment and marketing strategies that are prevalent now make the Avengers project, which they could have done 10, 20 years ago just as easily, but might not have been as successful. It make it more, they make it more appealing. This idea of uh, continued audience engagement with the franchises, bringing it together into a big event, like that epitomizes a kind of, of project planning in marketing that is fairly innovative. Um, not innovative, but fairly, fairly oh. new five years, right? Like, as innovative as the traveling Wilburys, right? I mean, <laughs> there have been super groups before. I'm not talking about the fact that they made an Avengers movie. I'm talking about like they did the individual stingers at the end of every Marvel movie building up for years to build like hype and expectation for this one product that was going to be released like in 2012, right? Oh, that's true. Um, that's true. That's right. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I should be more clear. I, I, guess, I guess I'm not just talking about the fact that the Avengers is a group of guys, which makes the matchup with some of the Super Bowl ads. I'm talking about it as sort of like a – uh, like a sort of aggregate, a, as it were, an, an integral, pro- a, a product that is an integral, right? That is like the area under the curve, not a, uh, not the, not the, um, the or a path integral, a path integral. <laughs> the, the Avengers are a path integral, as it were. So I, I saw another uh, trend in the, the ads, which is that I felt like there was a lot more stuff about the people who make our product this year. Yeah. Um, a, lot, a lot of us were yeah. reaching out to the, the working man. I was particularly struck by that early on for, for some kind of phone where you see people putting the phone together in a factory and it's like, it's the coolest factory ever. Like there's this weird rotating device. It almost you know, looks even like in a, the, even in the, in the first bud commercial with where you saw the blue bottle being put together, there were no humans in the factory. Hmm. It was that cool. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Which and, I suppose I'm like, a lot of a lot of factories have been in the news recently for being like deeply horrible places to work. Um, so th- the fact that they're trying to make it seem like the way that their product gets put together is wholesome and uh, you know either cool and futuristic or literally cures cancer at one point. 
um, is a very interesting kind of moralizing. Uh, I think. I think I think that trend and the and the predominance of dogs and groups of people are actually I mean they're definitely coordinated right because uh, you know the, the advertisements in general and certainly the advertisements in the Super Bowl are are really a ploy for consumerism at its at its grandest scale right you know this is this is the point where you know the companies that have enough money to buy thirty seconds worth of time which is only like four million dollars uh, to get an ad up for thirty seconds in the Super Bowl are going to urge everyone out there to spend. And this is a time when very few people have any money at all to spend on, you know, on electables. So, so they they have to appeal to the sort of like very basic human aspect. You know, okay, you may be dirt poor. You might've lost your house, but you know what? You still have your dog. You still have your best buddy. <laughs> like even if the world around you is literally or, or figuratively an economic apocalypse, you're still going to have your truck and your dog and your best buddies to sit around and eat Twinkies and, and watch frogs fall from the sky. You know, yeah. we can't take that away from you. So and, why not and enjoy when, it in a Chevy? And when you rest that Pepsi away <laughs> you eat your Twinkie. No, no, they can't take that away. Sorry, going on. Javi, hey, how are you? No, look, <laughs> one thing the people at the party I was at today told me was that there are, in fact, people in the podcast don't like the Harvey Firestein. <laughs> what? And maybe we should ease up on it just in un poco, un poco. Are you, say, are you saying that our comment, that there's a selection bias in the comments? <laughs> <laughs> the, the, uh, yes, the, the people who write show. to us telling us that they love our Harvey Firestein impression are, in fact, self selecting they're not a random sample <laughs> of people are you saying that Harvey I, I, Firestein lover 2121 at AOL is is, uh, is a biased source regarding Harvey Firestein <laughs> okay so I like what Jordan's saying I think that's really interesting and that's very cool think if you want to think about it this way if there has been kind of a shift in the center of gravity of the relationship between advertisers and individuals and that uh, the individuals are the ones the advertisers are trying to get on board with how the individuals are interacting with each other not to necess- and, uh, and to control that and to like set the tone for that not to necessarily like create a thing and then get the individuals on board with it uh, one of the functions of this is that the advertisers lose control over what parts of their business they want the individuals necessarily to look at right this is one of the big issues with the whole transformation of uh, of, of marketing, really. Marketing in the sense of going to market. One of the biggest changes in going to market is that you're in this fishbowl where everybody can see everything that you're doing. It's a lot harder to hide your factory farms and your sweatshops when somebody who lives there can just tweet about it and then everybody knows, right? And so part of being involved in that circle of people is acknowledging that they're going to know that your car is made somewhere. Uh, and, and, the, and some of them are going to work at the factory, right? So I do, I do think these things are connected in that sense and that companies have been been taking a lot of heat because they've been not and and they they would see it not as because their practices have been bad they would see it as because they have been not uh, they have not been applying marketing discipline to the way that they portray their practices mm-hmm. right like like they have not been port like hyundai is the commercial that really stuck out to me the one where they were singing the song um the hyundai commercial yeah. and uh, and the Rocky song, and it's yeah, because they're tr- yeah, it's pretty clear that they're trying to set up the expectation that Hyundai is an American car company made by Americans from end to end in the production process, right? Even though it's a Korean car company, but I mean it is it is you know they have factories in America, and they're trying to show look at all the people that are involved in this end to end, right? Um, 
like they're they're trying to. That doesn't necessarily mean that the way that the Hyundai factories worked has changed um, necessarily. They're portraying it in a new way. Uh, and then you're going to see people marketing their supply chain more. I mean, I think that that's a big challenge for Apple now because I think, Jordan, that's what you were referencing, right? Like the, one of the things you were referencing, the news about the abuses in the factories that are assembling the Apple products as being like a big news factory. A news oh, factory. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they've so, had to install nets to prevent suicides, right? Right, right, right. Which, by the way, is a very effective way to prevent suicides. And I think that they should install more nets. I don't just mean them. I just mean in general, (laughs) like under under bridges and stuff. It is Um, is an effective way to stop jumping suicides, but it's a great way to instill strangulation from at high speed suicides. (laughs) I I don't. I don't think you should try to catch people in nets involuntarily who are just going about their business. (laughs) You know what? You impinge on my Second Amendment rights. <laughs> I swear you do have a net does qualify as a weapon under the rules of ancient Roman gladiatorial combat, right? Like you have, you have to try it as a net, as a standard, <laughs> exactly. So therefore, a net qualifies as a weapon. Therefore, everyone has a right to a yeah. net. Therefore, I can't prevent you. No, I mean that's the whole coal smoke controversy. Not coal smoke, but the coal smoke study, right? Where like when they replaced the coal smoke in the British stoves with was natural gas, the suicides dropped by more than half. Uh, because the availability of suicide is one of the biggest and most dominant factors in whether or not it happens or whether or not people want to do it. So like a fairly trivial obstacle to killing yourself is going to actually stop a lot of people from killing themselves. Sure. But that's neither here nor there. Um, kind of <laughs> we, don't, we don't have to talk about the Patriots offense right now, if is what I'm saying. Anyway. If we could somehow instill like a three-day waiting period for suicides, that would basically take care of the problem, right? Because yeah. everyone would be like, oh, I have to fill out a form. Exactly. <laughs> Think about the person who waits to cross the street before jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah. Right? Like, which is like something that actually happens. People are like looking both ways while they're crossing the street because they don't want to get by a car before they throw themselves off the bridge to die. <laughs> uh, like, that's how it's the human lot, brain works, folks. It's a lot like swabbing the needle before lethal injection, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You don't want them or, to get infected. Or not giving, not giving lethal injections to someone who is sick. Right, right. Because right. God forbid, you you want them to get better. You want them exactly. to be on their best. Yeah. <laughs> but the main thing is, I think the main takeaway is that like there are these dark things that happen. I mean, not you know, and and the companies are going to be looking for ways to market, to go to market with those things to the social marketplace of ideas and of symbols and images, um, and and that's one of the factors of the whole hashtag thing, right? And the dogs. I will say, I do want to say one more thing about that Hyundai commercial, which is that it's another case where the ad actually defeats the project because, defeats the product because they were attempting to advertise cars and they ended up advertising acapella versions of 80s movie theme songs. Which are awesome. And I would totally buy them. (laughs) Kind of like the GoDaddy commercial that, that ended up advertising body paint. Exactly, exactly. Or that commercial for Hulu Plus that ended up advertising a delicious brain cocktail. <laughs> it's totally drank mm. on the way home. Uh, no, don't drink and try. It's bad for you. It's, it's totally well, it, bad. You, I mean, drinking brains could give you Kuru, which is going to be very bad for your driving. Or it is any sort of encephalitic disease, right? Like, yeah. is Kuru an encephalitic disease, like mad cow and stuff? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's, it's a prionic disease. Prionic, sorry. Yes, yes. Yeah, Encephalitic that, is not a real word, everybody, by the way. I just made it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's like something that would happen like in, in like a zombie-themed opera. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but encephalitis is a prionic disease, I think, right? Like, no, no, no. Encephalitis no. is just um, uh, it's, it's a broad-based term, I think, for any sort of infection that manifests in certain parts of the brain, right? Oh, so it's a brain infection. Okay. Yeah. So I'm thinking. I'm just thinking in general about like infectious agents that are in brain tissue yeah. and applying them that non-specifically to a conversation about the Super Bowl and advertising. Got it. 
Nailed it. Done. <laughs> Stuck the landing. <laughs> just like that guy who was on the rope with his crotch during the Madonna thing. I just stuck the landing. Richard, Richard Simmons looks awesome. <laughs> this is funny. Okay, which celebrity did the people at your Super Bowl party say that guy looked like? So for you, it was Richard Simmons? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Jordan, were you at a Super Bowl viewing? Did you view it privately? Were you at a party? I was at that time watching the Puppy Bowl. And, oh, uh, oh my god Where, can we finish the, can we ask you about the puppy bowl in fact oh, sorry so unbeknownst to everybody at home um, Nicki Minaj was just here and she just flipped the bird to the whole podcast <laughs> so we had to go back and bleep me cursing about it so anyway darn the torpedoes tell us about the puppy bowl how is the puppy bowl <laughs> So the puppy bowl has a has strong core values, you know. Like puppies, puppies remain cute. Um, however, they've been trying to jazz it up every year, and I feel like they've reached a point of rather severe diminishing returns. Because like you have the the kitten halftime show, it's a lot harder to get cats to do anything than it is to get dogs to run around being cute. Uh, they had like a pot bellied pig cheerleading section. That was odd. That, Aww. I mean, pot-bellied pigs are also cute, but yeah, mm. you know, I, I feel like Puppy Bowl used to be about how weird it was that they were going to do the Puppy Bowl, and now it's gotten all commercialized, and they're trying to like <laughs> pander to every animal demographic, and the thrill you're is like, just gone. You're like one of those people that's pissed off at the way MTV is developed. You're like, yeah. back when I was a kid, the Puppy Bowl was just about the puppies. <laughs> so I think that I think that next year, uh, rather than watch the Puppy Bowl when I should be watching the Super Bowl, I'm just going to break out my tape of Puppy Bowl one and watch that. <laughs> well, there are enough puppies at maybe because the Puppy Bowl is without a doubt the most popular television other than the Super Bowl that's on while the Super Bowl is on, right? Like pretty much every year, I think. Uh, I don't think anything comes close, which is bizarre, right? Because it's just puppies. In case you haven't watched the Puppy Bowl, it is exactly what it sounds. There's not even a game. It's just like they just have a, a fake stadium, little stadium that's maybe about – it's like Derek Zoolander size, right? It's like a little miniature, <laughs> like a miniature stadium. It's about the size of a large table. What is or like this, a, a stadium for puppies? Yeah, exactly. And then they have little plush and rubber and balls, and they have puppies running around playing with them to music. And that's – in the pure puppy bowl, in the sort of you know deconstructed, reconstructed, <laughs> in, like, in the, so- the Socratic form of puppy bowl, exactly, exactly, so in like the form of discourse in which puppy bowlness is dominant, <laughs> like that is all there is, right? <laughs> it's just the puppies playing with the thing for like four hours. Yeah, like, and, awesome. and every now and then, an elaborate football-related pun of some kind, like one of the puppies will, you know, their puppies will take a poop on the field, and the uh, the announcer will go flag on the play. And the, uh, the, the referee, who's clearly some Juilliard-trained actor uh, who is hoping for better days, will, you know, f- sort of shake his head disappointedly, blow a whistle, and go out with, like, a little yellow plastic bag to sort of represent the color of a flag and scoop up the poop. <laughs> exactly. I, there was a lot of uh, – what is that Disney movie, Treasure Buddies? There was a lot of uh, cross-promotion of Treasure Buddies, wasn't there, this year on the Puppy Bowl? Oh, you know, that's I, a children's movie. So wait, is this is this another installment in the Airbud franchise? Oh, really? I no, I I didn't know. I thought it was <laughs> like seven I mean, fetch. <laughs> are they all? Are they all children of Airbud? Well, there there is an Airbuddies, which is like Airbud's litter. 
and they <laughs> i guess it's like there's no rule that says 12 dogs can't play basketball but <laughs> yeah no this is this does look like a airbud spinoff because the, so the, there there is and it's straight it's straight to video treasure buddies of uh, disney's treasure buddies um yeah the air there are four little golden retriever or five little golden retriever puppies and uh, they made a couple of airbud movies airbud uh airbud seventh inning fetch right like um uh, most valuable whatever that and then they made, even make sense <laughs> and then they've been making these ones where it's sort of like the, the next generation, right? It's like Airbud, the next generation, right? Where there's one one little <laughs> golden retriever puppy in a boop suit, and one who's like constantly questioning why he has no emotions and things like that. Yeah, but no, yeah. it's like, it's like it's, it's just a, a bunch the, of dogs. The, the writing is better, but if you deconstruct yeah. it a bit, it's all the same schlock. It's just a different race of alien puppies each week. <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, it's that's that's the deal. It is part of that franchise. It is cool that the Puppy Bowl is trying to become more like the Super Bowl, and the Super Bowl is trying to become more like the Puppy Bowl. Huh. That they're like converging, right? I think that's kind of funny. We're going to end up with something in the middle that's just it's all the same. So <laughs> the dogs are they're going to let the dogs play on the field. It'll be like the Iditarod. Yeah. Um, or you know, but, like Tim Tebow will just take a dump on the on the midfield line. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be there by virtue of being such a puppy dog, not by virtue of being a football player. Aww. Oh, he's such a cute guy. Oh, look Tim, Tim Riggins, on the other hand, is in uh, John Carter of Mars. Anyone? Friday Night Lights joke. Moving right along. Yeah. That's where, great. Uh, where, where were you? Uh, where were you? Um, uh, where were we, Pete, before you dropped the, the steaming turd of an F bomb oh, on we the field of our about- play? <laughs> We were talking about the dude in the Madonna halftime show who was bouncing on the yes. on the on and the thong seeing, on the the thong trampoline as I referred the thong, to it. Thong trampoline, exactly. So we were saying which celebrity was he compared to at the Super Bowl viewing that you were at? At your Super Bowl, at who's it was? You were Richard Simmons. Uh, I was Dave? Richard Simmons. No, no, and no. no. Let me step in and say I was Richard Simmons. You were Richard Simmons. Jordan was a cat or a puppy pig. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's a non-zero chance of dog poo. Yeah. <laughs> and we said Will Ferrell. Like, the people at my party were saying he looked like oh, Will some, Ferrell. Someone on, tw- on Twitter, which was my party, considering it was just me and my girlfriend sitting at home watching it uh, alone, uh, someone on Twitter uh, said Seth Rogen. So that was Seth uh, Rogen. That's, what, so that's interesting that this person was in between Seth Rogen, Will Ferrell, and Richard Simmons, and yet was on a thong trampoline. Like, there seems to be something. If we want to deconstruct, reconstruct, put that to get back together, there seems to be some sort of abstract concept that, that hits all those points. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's making a hilarious movie about volleyball. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> he's a volleyball coach, and there's a girl, but she's having her period, and he can't really try to explain it to her. He doesn't know how. Um, so he's going to try. It's going to be kind of awkward. But then he, they're going to discover the power of jazzercising. It's going to be great. It's going to be it great. Was a, Madonna's thing was a jazzercise video. I mean, the, the impression, uh, the music was sort of negligible, but I thought that, that the impression I was left with was Madonna is in great shape. She was doing all those, those uh, power squats. You know what I mean? <laughs> those were not power no. squats. I looked up. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that she was just, Pete, was she just losing her balance and people were picking her up? <laughs> no. Okay. Oh, there's a common misconception. It's not that common. There's an, a rare misconception <laughs> that when the word power is appended to a lift or an exercise, that it means that the exercise is done for power or with power. This is not the case. When the term power is appended to the, the, uh, the name of an exercise, it means that the exercise involves the power position, 
which is a position that is uh, common in sports where your your hips are bent and your and your knees are bent at about like you know 40, 45 to, to sixty degrees, and you're sort of your your chest is up, you know your your back is a little bit straight, and you're kind of hunched down a little bit, you know you're got a little bounce in your knees, bounce in your hips, but you're not fully down with your with your upper legs parallel to the floor, and you're not standing straight up. Right, and that's the power position because it gives you power to move in different directions. So a power squat is a squat that only goes down about like a third of the way. And I looked, I looked it up. That a power clean is a clean where you don't start on the floor. You start in that position with the barbell around knee level, and then you go from there. What would be, like, what would be the uh, the advantage to such a position, Pete? Uh, it varies by by exercise, but generally it means you can do more weight because usually a power position exercise is, is a smaller range of motion than a full range of motion exercise. Uh, so a power squat, you could do more weight because you don't have to bring it all the way down. So your form doesn't have to be as, as strained. It doesn't take as much stabilization. Basically. I, really, I really like that that's all that's involved, though, because it means that like right after this, I can go make a power omelet. Uh, <laughs> power, power watch some tv take a long, yeah yeah as long as you're doing it all kind of in demi-plie you know <laughs> there you go madonna was not demi-plie she was doing full squats she, no, was, yeah, she was doing grand plie yeah exactly exactly I, that was a pretty cool halftime show i thought i thought that the um the whole drumline element was cool we all were shouting for nick cannon to show up but of course <laughs> Though halftime is game time, uh, Nick is a daddy now, so or at least he's on the way to being a daddy, right? So he's. Uh, uh, that's actually. I, I thought the uh, the color palette that they chose for the first third of it was was kind of impressive. You know, she comes out in the sort of Grand Imperial Egypt uh, garb, and, and it's basically nothing on the field but black and gold, which mm. you know it, it's pretty understated for a for for a Super Bowl halftime show, which is sort of. On, often decked out in you know, twelve different neon colors simultaneously. They got, they got those towards towards the end. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, they do they dove into it, but they, but they spend a, a good third of it in in almost black and white. And while, very, know, while yeah, in this very stark yeah. and and she like Cleopatra being born, yeah. you know, on the shoulders of her, you know, many uh, many ninety nine percent. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> shoulders of the ninety nine percent of her cabana, of her cabana boys. <laughs> I will say that, like, I saw that opening and I was not so impressed. Like, I saw that and I turned to the puppy bowl because I looked at it and I said, Lady Gaga does this every day. You know? yeah. <laughs> I thought it Even was when cool. she's not being filmed, right? <laughs> I thought it was cool how much it recalled the Elizabeth Taylor Cleopatra entrance, right? Which is, of course, infamously one of the most expensive and needlessly so, right? Like, like moments in movie history. I mean, not needlessly so, but just like opulently and excessively so. Oh, it's funny. I hadn't thought of that, but I did think of uh, Ina Barbus' speech from Antony and Cleopatra. You know, the barge she sat in like a burnished throne burned on the water. The poop was beaten gold and now we're back to taking a dump on the field <laughs> we are looking blue today <laughs> if you want to talk about poop on the field we have to talk about bradshaw's touchdown which was such a- <laughs> okay Damn. Was trying- now you worked that in I was trying to get this to be the question of the week, but we but uh, we weren't as comfortable with something this complex. So so this is the situation. For <laughs> we are we are doing we are doing a power podcast. A third away on any of our given topics. We're, so here's we're podcasting through a much smaller range of motion. Sorry, Pete, I'll let you go. So here's the situation, right? Your team is winning this is in the Super Bowl by uh, or you're going if your team scores a touchdown. What is it? What was the, this? Your team is behind by two points. 
You're within, well within field goal range. So either you're going to kick the ball and you're going to get a field goal and you're going to be ahead, or you're going to by one point, or you're going to score a touchdown um, and you're you're going to be uh, ahead by three points, right? Uh, as as it as it were, whatever, whatever it is, whatever it is, um, the other team needs to get the ball back. Like in order to win, the other team needs to get the ball back soon. So the smart thing for them to do is to let you score. Like, this is the kind of paradoxical thing that happened at this point in the football game. The Patriots wanted to let the Giants score, right, in, or, in order so that they could get the ball back so that they could try to score again and win. Otherwise, they're going to lose by a field goal. And there was this wonderful moment where Bradshaw, the running back for the Giants, like, is basically everyone steps away from him, right? And he starts going towards the end zone. And the smart thing for him to do there, debatably, is either to, like, stall for a little bit, slow down, like take a knee, whatever. I'm not a huge football guru. I'm not sure yeah. what the main is, but the he, more time he can, he, what? He, he can he can take a little me time. Exactly. The more the small like scoring a touchdown quickly is not to his advantage. And in fact, that might be to his advantage not to score this touchdown at all. Um, and uh, and what he did was really profound in that like he got to about the two yard line and he started slowing down and he got to the one yard line and he started sort of turning sideways and squatting with no one really touching him right like maybe some incidental contact and then like like as if he just could not help himself like turned around backwards and like fell in a pooping position onto his butt <laughs> into the end zone and, and like this made me think a couple of things first that this is why abstinence only sex education doesn't work right. Because because that drive to score a touchdown is so strong that you will do it even if it increases the chances of you losing the game. Like, even if you're really supposed to stop, you just want to get over that line. And when you're that close, it's very hard to make educated decisions about whether you want to score a touchdown or not. So that was one thing. And the other thing is that, like, what a wonderful moment just to, to, to personalize for yourself. Right? Like, what would you do? <laughs> If you were in that suspended moment in time and everybody's watching you and all that the world wants you to do is slow down for like one second, but two seconds. You're, ta- you're talking about it. I, I think he was trying to take a knee. I mean, I think he was trying to land on the one yard line and he failed. I mean, you're talking about it as though it's a moment of, of indecision. And uh, uh, and I, I'm not sure it was that. I mean, I think the strategy was, you know, take a knee at the one yard line just so that they could run down the clock a little bit before they... Uh, you know, before they scored the touchdown, and he and it fell, it fell down in the ex. It fell down, no pun intended. Zing in the execution. That is to say, he failed to not score a touchdown, though that was his that was his settled intention. Uh. But I, w- I would I would add that perhaps part of the classification of that in- of that execution, part of what falls under the things that need to happen in that execution, is him really being on board fully. With what the what it is going to be like for him to decline to score this touchdown? Oh, right, yeah, and so the idea is that, like, given the opportunity to score a touchdown in the Super Bowl, like, what man you would have to be superhuman to resist the? Uh, uh, Might even reflex. Yeah, yeah you, know, like, you, you push it you forward carry, so much. Job. You, you carry the ring all through Mordor, right? Like, you can't, <laughs> you yeah. can't be expected to just throw it into Mount Doom when you get there, right? You've developed a personal bond with it. Yeah. So clearly there was some sort of snarling, feral, like, former New York giant who was, like, like <laughs> by power, who, like, reached forward and, and thrust him forward into the end zone. That was basically it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, it did, awesome. Yeah, it did kind of look like he was getting hit by, a, like, an invisible... Not by an invisible force. Like yeah. Like, you know, yeah, yeah perhaps, uh, perhaps he was wearing the Super Bowl ring of invisibility. <laughs> 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 the last time. 
but it's just like it, it's also although football players are tremendously physically capable this is something that they're basically never asked to do you know like th- th- there's not a situation where you need to come to a measured stop uh, and and absolutely do not cross that line so like you know he he just fell over um yeah. and- <laughs> <laughs> he he reached like a zen koan right there yeah. right like he's <laughs> mid momentum he's just- forced to call its entire philosophy into question. It's, it's sort of like the Epic of Gilgamesh then. It's not like he fails because of some sort of psychosocial <laughs> problem. Like, it's not that he, like, you know, it's not like he reaches uh, the promised land like Moses, but because he struck the rock to create the water, he's condemned to never enter the promised land and he must die on the mountaintop. In Gilgamesh, he's just not good enough to, to, to get the, to stay awake long enough to, to get him. Yeah, he just falls asleep, which is hilarious. Yeah, he just falls asleep. Like in Gilgamesh, Gilgamesh is a wonderful epic in this way because like all he really does, he just isn't good enough. He just fails. And there's no additional explanation necessary for why he does that. Yet in a lot of, so many of our other stories, we feel like we need, well, why did they fail? Like why? It's like, well, I mean, I fail at stuff all the time. I don't necessarily have great explanations for why it happens. Sometimes I just fall over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. That totally makes sense. Also, I mean, the the commentator was saying stuff about how um, actually the Patriots defense did a really good job of getting out of his way. Like maybe a better job than he was expecting. So there's a little bit of, um, of like, uh, he mis- not exactly. He miscalibrated the amount of resistance he would encounter. He was expecting a low level of resistance, and he encountered none whatsoever. Yeah, it's, it's not exactly a Wiley e. Coyote moment. I'm trying to think which Warner Brothers cartoon this is most characteristic of, where <laughs> the, the the sort of the <laughs> someone charges forward with a lot of energy, and then there's no resistance, and they end it's up going a, off a cliff. You know, you know, what it is. It's it's a peanuts moment, right? Yes, like Charlie, exactly Charlie Brown is running to kick the football, and, and <laughs> there is no football at all there when he kicks. Yeah. Now imagine how beautiful it would have been if instead of sort of like falling over backward, he had done a full sort of, you know, somersault backflip into the end zone. <laughs> <laughs> like, in mid-fall, had the time and presence of mind to just pull out um, like a banner that said something appropriate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Or if he just like written a poem, if he just like taken out, written a haiku, like in <laughs> you know, with a seasonal statement as well. If he'd been like, you know, would have been like, uh, um, you know, Giants. <laughs> what's it? Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, um, wait, hold you know. on, hold on. It's, uh, all right, come back to me. I'll get some. <laughs> like, like man, what? Manning, Manning Brothers, Twain, uh, you know, uh, a, 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 aging winter, you know, passes by. Uh, Eli, you drop the football. Me, 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 drop the football. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh man. So yeah. So so I guess so. It's hashtag Super Bowl is what we're saying. Um, it's puppy- hashtag Super Bowl. It's uh, it's proletarian Super Bowl. You know yep. what I mean? It's it's means of in other words, it's it's means of production Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an interesting challenge. I don't know. Uh, it is an interesting challenge, and, and I know Jordan is a communist, so I can ask him about that. I'm just kidding around. Um, it is an interesting challenge to see companies really try to befriend the idea of the proletariat. 
right? Like big companies, like big capitalistic companies trying to like make friends with the social energy of like the proletarian class well, in that, itself. I mean, that was the, I mean, that was kind of the idea of the, the Clint Eastwood voiceover commercial, right? For uh, Chrysler. Whereas, yeah. I mean, they, I don't know if they've gone up and down in the world where last year it was Eminem and this year it's, it's Clint Eastwood. But the idea, I mean, the idea is that this kind of grizzled voice uh, represents like, hey, our company has had some hard times just like you've had some hard times. You know yeah. what I mean? And that like the kind of there's a sort of false consciousness, right, to use a little Marxian uh, term there, uh, because um, the, the identification between, uh, you know, between your troubles and the troubles of Chrysler uh, is is. Um, <laughs> You know what I mean? Is an artifact of the grizzled voiceover and not... Yeah, I mean, you know. this is like one of the core concepts of effective branding, right? Is to try and anthropomorphize the company and its brand as being a kind of person. And, and you know, having certain characteristics and personality mm-hmm. traits that can then be used to endear it to its, its audience, right? Right, and last mm-hmm. year they had the, the uh, personality traits of Eminem, this year of uh, uh, Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood, that's a, waste. Was, that's a huge step up. I mean, uh, one thing we were we were speculating on whether Gran Torino as a brand is like the property <laughs> of any of the of the car companies that Clint Eastwood was speaking on behalf of at the time. But it's like I can I can find that out. Probably not. The answer is probably not. But uh, I guess I can I can look that up while we're looking. Right. Oh. Uh, oh. Good. I I just uh, I was pulling that out of my you know Marxian bag of tricks. But uh, I I Wikipedia and I realized that false consciousness is the Marxist thesis that material and uh, institutional processes in capitalist society are misleading to the proletariat and to other classes. These uh, processes betray the true relations of forces between those classes and the real state of affairs regarding the development of pre-socialist uh, society. That You know what I mean? That is to say... Um, Oh, uh, uh, that is to say, the uh, the commercial the commercial is misleading not just about a product, but it's misleading about uh, your relationship as a working person uh, between uh, between yourself and capital. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it's, the, it's... the Torino, Grand Torino was Ford, making it the second commercial where Ford was mentioned inside. That was a really cool moment, and I think that there is a difference between what was happening in these commercials and this idea that you want to anthropomorphize your company so that people will identify with what your message is, and the idea of like you want your branding activities to communicate specifically with a group of people who are also communicating among themselves in this social context, but... How about this? Remember the, the post-apocalyptic commercial where the Chevy guys were making fun of Ford? They said – well, they weren't making – the, their friend Dave didn't make it out of the died, apocalypse. Died because, died yeah. Ford, because he was Ford driving a Ford. their friend Dave. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is it was, it was kind of funny, right? Like it was not said in like a really dark way. Yeah. Like, like his body wasn't there or anything like that. And what I was thinking when I saw that was I don't think – well, first of all, you don't say that if you're trying to compete with Ford. You don't, you don't use their name in the commercial if you're trying to, like, outsell them. You don't want to give them the brand equity. But it occurred to me that it's a characteristic of Chevy owners that they enjoy talking crap about Ford, right? Like, so it was something they all share with each other. And so the idea of, like, identifying with not all Chevy owners, obviously, but, like, ones who are the stereotypical ones. Well, if you deconstruct and reconstruct and look for a, a form in there of some kind, whether it's like a, a dominant form of discourse or, or some part of the piece of the, of the puzzle, uh, there is some idea of a Chevy owner who loves to talk smack about Ford. 
um, and uh, and that that's something that they share with each other. And I thought that it was cool that that concern and identifying with that thing that their audience did trumped the concerns of brand equity, right? And then investment and return of investment on brand equity, where you would not want to give part of your own money to increase the brand equity of your main competitor, right? Like, that it was more important to them to to connect on that message. I thought that was a cool. So then the other, I mean, the other one uh, like that was the the. Um the Pepsi commercial, right, where the Coke delivery driver uh, was drinking was drinking Pepsi on the job, right, and he was trying to, uh, and it was it was compared to sort of cheating on your lover with the you know your cheating heart, the country song, uh, yeah. playing in the background, and uh, and the you know the um, <laughs> the twist, the uh, bad things that happen to people who use our product twist, <laughs> is, right, is that uh, he won some sort of contest and was going to be his Pepsi drinking was going to be publicized, and so he would almost uh, certainly lose his job, right, delivering delivering Coke, and he was actually wearing a Coke Zero hat. So not only was the brand mentioned, but the brand's logo was prominent in the uh, in the visual landscape do you think they paid for that do you think that was like a partnership thing where they actually realized that like it's worthwhile (laughs) to them are you saying that like coke bought like product placement in the pepsi commercial it's not the craziest thing i've ever heard (laughs) like uh, and yeah 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 i guess i don't know i I, I would just be speculation i guess but I, i i wouldn't know we could look it up but it is an interesting thing i mean if you can because we've gotten to this point now where we're way through the looking glass on just buying a commercial to tell somebody what your product does and why they should buy it. Right. Like we're trying to sneak in all sorts of any small part of this like, you know, this like fabulous, you know, post post Paris Hilton Orwellian hexcape, right? Where it's like uh where where you know, we're equal parts Stalin and Nicole Ritchie, right? Where it's where it's like every any part of your life these companies can try, any part of your brain that these companies can try to insert themselves into, any small bit of your attention that they can grab, uh, by entertaining you and making things fun or engaging you in some way, because please love us, right? Like is uh is going to happen, and it, however indirect, even if it's just the color of a chair or the, you know, a particular sound or something, is going to be calculated, and and they're going to make up how much they think it's worth, and someone's going to pay somebody else for it. Right. I mean, it's interesting to think is is it in Coke's best interest and Pepsi's best interest together to sort of team up to convince everybody that their only two options are Coke and Pepsi? Is that like they're, they're probably not going to Pepsi isn't going to win away any dedicated Coke drinkers. Coke isn't going to win away any dedicated Pepsi drinkers. But the the RC Cola fans are like the sick zebra on the uh, the, the, the outskirts the, of the herd. God forbid the Mister Pib fans, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> they, are, they are just myths. I was going I to say, limit myself to talking about soda. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, I would say recently Pepsi has not been doing as well, and especially in terms of expand in the international markets, it's not worth it to Coke because Coke is so far ahead of Pepsi outside the United States. Um, but inside the United States, it might be worth it to Pepsi to do defensive advertising against the cut rate soda brands. Um, it's probably not worth it to Coke. Uh, because Coke is so much bigger, but it might be in worth the, it in the know. beverage market. But Pepsi also has like Frito Lay and all. I mean, Pepsi is in the the uh, like the general snack. Uh, yeah, well, they sold Yum Brands, right? They were that spun off. But yeah, no, no. But, but I mean, Pepsi does have other businesses that it's trying to advance. Although it's it's questionable how much Frito Lay benefits from the brand equity of the Pepsi of Pepsi. Um, sure. 
but 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 certainly the business is large. I'm not saying the business is just the soft drinks, but if you are a Pepsi, it might be worth it to you to share some brand equity with Coke because you don't want Fago or RC taking away your 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 uh, your sales. Uh, or just like generic polar cola. What did you guys hear about the polar bear thing? Did you guys have any any more information on that? Because the the I had heard there was a rumor going around at the party I was at that Coke had been forbidden or had been sued in some way for using the polar bears in their ad campaigns because polar bears are a trademark of polar soda, which is a competitor to Coke on the very low end of like convenience store and grocery store soda shopping, right? Which Polar makes a fine tonic and a fine club soda and seltzer water. I, I like their, their stuff on yeah. that end. That's kind of what they're good for. But they also make colas that have polar bears as their logo. So, so of course, I doubt that that's why Coke was doing it. I don't think that they were using a polar bear to try to pull one over on Polar. They probably didn't even think yeah. about it. I, I um, heard something about that, but I thought that the case – and I thought that Coke was actually trying to bar somebody else from using a polar bear, but oh. that, that, the, that it was thrown out on the grounds that you can't copyright a bear, actually, because it's just a bear. <laughs> it like, would represent a, a huge leap forward in like the just the general discourse in the way corporations <laughs> run. Right? Like, like, you, 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 can, you, can, you can patent you know, genes that you clone out of a tree. Um, <laughs> so Pepsi was trying to run polar bear commercials, too. So this is what happened: is that Pepsi was running polar bear commercials to make fun of Coke for their Coke, their polar bear commercials. <laughs> and this was back in July of 2006. Um, have, we, have we reached Have we reached the singularity moment where there are now more uh, commercial animated polar bears than there are actual polar bears? <laughs> that was what I thought about most of the way through all of the polar bear commercials tonight. Is like those poor animals are going to be dead, and there's nothing we can really do about it. <laughs> Give them a Coke. Make their life yeah. better. Yeah, that's right. So what we were talking about was that everything that the polar bears did for each other was what love is. Because that was what I was trying to convince you. <laughs> this is what love is. It's getting given to soda and then falling over and knocking over all your friends and finally catching the soda in like a drawn-out 45-second sequence. That's it's it's howling, howling into the abyss and then getting a sort of ineffectual pat on the shoulder. <laughs> You know, but yeah, I would say again. These, I, I, these I challenge you to come up with a more accurate depiction of love. I challenge you. <laughs> Put it in the comments. <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but again, I, I feel like these these commercials were trying to sell soda and were in fact selling the death of charismatic megafauna. Um, it was a really dark <laughs> place for the ads to go. Oh, I don't know. I, I, and that was, that was I, the Irish, point of my... Irish elk and her you know line of rental cars. I think are doing just fine. Anybody? No. <laughs> That's what oatmeal does with Milf- Wilford Brimley, though, right? <laughs> he's, he's, he's the last surviving megafauna. A lot of people yeah. think that the end of the Pleistocene killed them off when it was, in fact, the diabetes. Yeah, Wilford Brimley is the last of his species. It was really hard to get Wilford Brimley to reproduce in captivity. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of repro- speaking of reproducing in that uh, in that uh, finally we're gonna break through this sexual tension and get get going. <laughs> no, anyway, uh, in the um, uh, in the the post apocalyptic Chevy ad, it seemed to me that like the the men had each other and they had their dogs. I mean, it was a Twinkie party. You know what I mean? It was a Twinkie eating party. Um, yeah, at the end of the world, there were no families. You know what I mean? It's not like my wife. And these were not sort of young guys who who were who had just not started families. They looked like you know established middle aged people who you could imagine having a couple young kids at home. Uh, 
And, uh, and like, looking back at this, the only ad I, I can see that really sort of references family life in the kind of comforting way that I saw. I mean, it seemed like to me last year, if I remember correctly, a lot of the ads were about comfort and about mm-hmm. sort of uh, reaffir- you know, in the sense of kind of reaffirming American values. Um, the, the, like, the closest to a, a domestic relationship that we saw was um, John Stamos hogging all the Greek yogurt. <laughs> and he, he got he got headbutted. Right, that yeah, was uh, that was ridiculous. Um, and yeah. then, or, I mean, we could say that maybe the companies are trying to okay the E Trade commercial, uh, looking out over the ba- the CGI uh, the CGI babies who had just emerged from the uncanny valley. <laughs> Zing. Uh, yeah, that's right. That is quite, and then they had the uncanny umbilical cord cut. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, the E Trade babies, or the you know the Doritos, the Doritos baby, right? Like this was the closest thing to sort of family. Uh, it was a lot of people by themselves. It was a lot of guys by themselves. It was a lot mm. of it was a lot of every man for himself. Um, you know, uh, in in these in these commercials. Or, you know, I guess buddies, but buddies are groups of individuals, you know what I mean? Buddies aren't really a, a, uh, a stable collective in the same way that, that a family is, right? Mm. Whoa, whoa. Look at you enforcing your heteronormative values on this podcast. <laughs> well, I mean, that is, wait, you whether, could... You... Wait, whether the family is, is as a heterosexual or homosexual couple at the end of, uh, at the end of it, it still is a more stable, at the uh, head of it, I mean, it still is a more stable <laughs> social organization than just sort of casual groups of, of buddies. Well, yeah, although, oh, go ahead. I think that uh, one of the, the grand narratives of advertising in the past, like, couple of decades is it tries to sell buddy, buddiness as something that endures more than family. And not even just uh, not even just advertising, but like I mean, look at Cheers, right? Look at every sitcom from Cheers on forward, and probably reaching back to ones that I never got a chance sure, to see. Yeah, Friends. I get, well, no, I mean, because that is, that is a shift, isn't it? It's not Lucy and Ricky. It's not All in the Family. It's not the Jeffersons. It's not even Different Strokes. You know what I mean? It's uh, it's the Night Court model of, yeah, of sitcom. Yeah. It's the yeah, neighbors yeah. or work family or roommates, you know? And so, I mean, hey, let's ring the changes, right? Like, uh, but What's his name in The Honeymooners? Morton? Is that his name? The Not not uh, Ralphie? Not Ralph Cramden, but the other Ralph guy? The, the Art Carney character, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that is a sitcom where he there's tension between his relationship with his buddy and his relationship with his wife. And I think that's kind of formative, right? Like, uh, yeah, which one yeah. is the one that really matters to him is one of the big even, themes of that show. Even I Love Lucy, like, I mean, Lucy is pretty devoted to Ricky, but she spends more time with Ethel. Yeah. yeah. This is true. I mean, I mean, one of the, yeah. a very rare uh, homosocial relationship where it's women rather than men involved, I guess. At least in terms I mean, of popular portrayal in American yeah, media. Yeah. yeah. Not, not in terms of, like, life. I'm sure that it, in life it goes on all the time. but In, terms they, of in the bathroom, especially. Women go to the bathroom all the time together. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's a line. It's not because it's the intrinsic quality of like of socializations. Because there's lines in the bathroom and it takes time, <laughs> and they want. To talk. Uh, can we I, I, can we deconstruct the H and M ad with David Beckham selling underwear to men? <laughs> the women in my party going crazy over it. They were hooting and hollering. Yeah, hey, sure, go for it. What do you want to de- you want to take his underpants off? Is that what you want? That's whatever you want. I'm not. I'm not quite sure. I mean, I guess. I guess women are the in a lot of households. Women are the ones that that buy the clothes, uh, right? Like that make that make a lot of those purchasing decisions. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that's who you're. I guess that's who you're always advertising to when you're when you're thinking about things like housewares or clothes or or uh, or things like this. Um, I don't know. I I I buy my own clothes though, and I I don't want. Uh, I don't think that underwear is going to make me look like like David Beckham. No, it isn't. But well, I think. Yeah, you couldn't really, uh, and it, you know, just going to the fact that you know what the product is, you couldn't really see the underwear in the ad, right? They would pan down just to sort of like this. Like, I have no idea if he was wearing boxers or briefs or just like box some boxer brief hybrid, because that would be basically briefs, showing his junk. Uh, I think the back. And like, it's a fairly standard underwear ad. Um, they showed his technique apple. though. Well, I guess how do you how do you advertise underwear other than like show the show the people using the product, right? You can show them holding it up next to themselves, and and it's always just sort of like you know really really hot people wear our underwear. Whereas, yeah. I mean, most of what people want out of underwear, I think, is comfort because it's not a kind of clothes that other people typically get to see very much at all. I mean, I'm, I don't know. Maybe there are people out there who think, well, I'm going to be getting down to my underwear at some point, and I don't want to lose the deal then. Um, <laughs> really? Because my, my strategy for that was to always do the, the pants and the underpants, you know, in one, in one fell swoop. You know? Yes. Yeah. And, 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 live or die, and, and live or die by myself in all my glory, right? Rather, <laughs> rather than at a, another threshold of potential rejection, right? I typically tried to get pants, underwear, and socks actually in one one bold motion. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I just even... I just wear feety pajamas everywhere, <laughs> and that's that's it. You know, I'm rocking the onesie with one of the. Uh, but you have a flap, right? You have like a button flap, an old timey long underwear button flap that you I, can. I, <laughs> it just it it came with my like handheld candelabra, uh, and you know how can I, I say actually no? I, I actually developed uh, one with such. I, I really highly trained on this, and especially I studied with some Buddhist monks for a long time. And I can actually launch myself out of the door of a subway, uh, commute all the way home, go up the stairs, unlock the door, go in through the door, completely disrobe, put in a bath, fix the potpourri, just like land fully submerged, uh, bubbles rising around, totally relaxed, and also have a roast on. And still, and still not cross the goal line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then you're hanging there. You're just waiting. No, I think that there's – I think that if you want to talk about anxiety relievable by purchase, which is one of the things that motivates these idea of bad things happen to people who use our product, is you want people to feel anxious about something that they will feel better about if they buy your product. You show David Beckham to make men feel bad about their bodies. And they admire the body. They're jealous of the fact that this guy has a better body than they do. They see that their girlfriends and wives and female friends are drooling over this guy, and they're not drooling over them. So you have this – it's not like, oh, I consciously want to be like David Beckham. You plant this anxiety and this sense of not being good enough in them. And, and then maybe when they're in the store, they recall this anxiety, and they think that if they buy the David Beckham underpants, then, then that's going to relieve that anxiety. They're going to feel yeah, better yeah. about yeah. the fact that their wife actually doesn't want to be sleeping with them. Their wife wants to be sleeping with some random British guy. Like, maybe uh, well, I random. would be happier well, if I bought these underwears. Just maybe. Yeah. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. I mean, I think that's the, I mean, I don't know, I'm pretty cynical about it, but I think that's the motivation between showing pretty people in clothes most of the time. Other, unless you're actually modeling how the clothes work. Uh, I mean, if you wanted, I guess if you want to show, you, there's also the strategy of showing celebrities that people identify with. Like, Macy's had a Jason Bateman, I think, 
campaign a while ago, right? Where it was like men's departments were all pictures of Jason and Bateman. And so the guys, oh, he's just like me. I love him. He's great. I want to wear his clothes. And the, the David, they also had a David Beckham thing. I mean, their underwear department for Polo, right? Is that what it is? It's Polo? Or is it one yeah, of the other he's brands? Been under, yeah, he is the heir to Mark Wahlberg in, in terms of being the you know, best known <laughs> underwear advertiser, at least best known by me. Yeah, yeah, and he's not that much older, than, uh, younger than Mark Wahlberg is. Not, but Mark, Wal- Mark Wahlberg did it much earlier in his career. Um, but at any rate, uh, yeah, I, I think in this case, it's like either you're really look sensitive and you want to look good in the underwear, and you like you you actually think of yourself like David Beckham, and you want to be super cool and super sexy and have this have this cool underwear stuff, or it's it's more like I want to be the person that the people I want to be loved. So I want the people in my life who clearly love this guy to love me. So I'm going to fix that by buying the stupid underpants. Can we um, talk yeah, but, you? you know, which is, which is bizarre because it, it immediately invites the comparison of how you look in the underpants and how David Beckham looked. Right? Like, it, you know, if he's very famously donning them and you purchase them for the very reason, the fact that people have seen him in them. Yeah. And like the image of them is most tightly associated with, with that of David Beckham in them. You know, there's no way that you're going to look any better than he does. You're, it's right. going to be... You know, you're going to look like Bizarro standing next to Superman. <laughs> yeah. Everyone loves Bizarro, though, right? Bizarro. Meet Bizarro. Guess, but but nobody, nobody wants to drop trowel for Bizarro, right? <laughs> you will no drop trowel for Bizarro. In bizarro world, trowel drop you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I fed Bizarro David Beckham a whole bunch of peanuts. <laughs> can, we, can we talk about the... Um, the other clothing ad, which I thought was very interesting, the the attack ad that Old Navy did on like clothing that is nice. Yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> With, absolutely, we can. I know. Is that what you're talking about? Or like they had this whole fake ad for yeah, Corporato, something like that. Um, and then at the very end, they're like, "Don't dress like this, Old Navy." And basically, what they were saying is that like, you know, don't dress like a successful businessman, which I think is an interesting, I don't know, it says something, right? I mean, that could be, you could look at it if we're still on the rant that I was on before as like the anxiety of wanting to be like that guy is something that you've been dealing with in your professional life for a long time. And you're now fed up with it and you're giving up on it and you don't care anymore. Like you don't want to, I don't know. I mean, I I think a lot of these ads you could see as tap was trying to tap into the cultural zeitgeist of the, the whole Occupy movement. Sure. But actually I want to follow up on what Pete was saying. I mean, I think that actually what Dave was saying is probably closer to true, but I think Pete is, Pete is more interesting. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I will retreat to silence now. Thank you. (laughs) This, uh, this anxiety. Right. Dave, don't underestimate that. Uh huh. Yeah, uh-huh. this like, is what peer review feels like, people. This is- <laughs> <laughs> so that like anxiety, um, you can either try to deal with that by rising to the challenge or by avoiding the challenge. But it's like it's the underachiever uh, clothing ad, where it's like you show the picture of David Beckham. Some guys are going to be like, "Oh man, I kind of want those underwear, so I'll look like David Beckham." And other people are going to be like, "I'm never going to look like David Beckham. Just let me like wrap a sack, a plastic bag around my junk, and die alone in a ditch." And, <laughs> oh, <laughs> and if you're that guy, Old Navy really wants your money. <laughs> You want to sell marginally well, better designed plastic sacks to uh, wrap your junk in. 
I mean, <laughs> speaking, <Yeah>. of, <laughs> speaking of wrapping uh, our junk, I think it may be time to wrap this podcast. <laughs> Anyone have a closing thought they want to uh, uh, they want to share? Dave, you were just about to say something. Uh, oh, I, there's nothing I can possibly say that would top that brilliant deconstruction of Old Lady's uh, spring lineup. <laughs> <laughs> No, uh, I'm going to return all of my cargo shorts right now. Uh, all right. Well, we didn't even get to all the uh, Adriana Lima uh, advertising, but uh, we're going to have to leave that for another time because this has been the Overthinking Podcast. If you want to, uh, if you want to participate, if you want to, uh, you know, throw off the false consciousness uh, that separates podcaster from podcastee, the way to do it is to email podcastoverthinkingit.com, call 203-285-6401, call or text, or leave a comment uh, on the show notes. This has been the annual Super Bowl episode of the podcast, and we will see you <laughs> next week. <laughs> You just stopped to let your your uh, a belt out one notch while you said that, didn't you? <laughs> was, oh, why'd I drink that entire bottle of ranch dressing? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, why'd I why'd I drink that entire box of Trader Joe's box wine, the finest <laughs> box wine in all of Los Angeles? The, the finest box wine available. At Trader Joe's. Fine, fine, finer even than than the Target box wine, though. I suppose uh, I suppose Target probably would have a Super Bowl ad. Um, it's funny the, the product categories you don't see as Super Bowl ads, like uh, you know stores like Target. But never mind, uh, we'll take that up. We'll take that up another time, maybe on next week's podcast. But until then, you can find us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably does doesn't deserve. deserve. It's halftime in America. You know, if it's halftime in America, that means that the country has, like, a limited time left, right? It was a profoundly depressing ad. Yeah, only, yeah, only, something, yeah, only something finite can have a halfway point, right? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, in, in infinity is, you know, cutting it in half is, is useless. You can well, it actually... produces two infinities, slightly smaller infinities. No, no, it produces two infinities of the same size. Moving from one Aleph to another Aleph is not an operation that multiplication can do. Yeah, that's absolutely right. What? Like, like an all, all, two Aleph null equals Aleph null, and by extension, one half Aleph null equals Aleph null. Unless you're British, in which case you say two Aleph not equals Aleph not. So, so there you are. Look, I I don't, is this not the podcast people turn to for all of their transfinite <laughs> math needs? I like, I like my, I like my, I like my uh, olive stuffed with pimentos. <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, Dave. There are lots of British people who never say that in their entire lives. <laughs> then they, then they, Jordan, have not kissed the face of God. Hmm.